Welcome, Blues, to episode 25 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Thanks to you, our loyal listeners, we have now reached 10,000 plays on SoundCloud. So we hope you guys keep listening and help the pod continue to grow. In this one, we review the match against Manuel Pellegrini's West Ham. Today, in our Skype virtual studio, we have Walter Smith. Hey, Walter, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I was confident about the victory, as I said. I think I predicted 4-0, and it was a 4-0 hammering of the hammers and uh, yeah I just uh, strolled into work this morning plenty of United fans there and none of them wanted to discuss football but they didn't have a choice Do you, Are there a lot of Man United oh. fans or Liverpool fans in your workplace? Not so many Liverpool fans but yeah yeah I mean I work uh, just north of Manchester so yeah there's quite a few um, United fans there but the, I'm finding that they're getting very hard to find and pin down these days uh. they're becoming experts they're like that Homer Simpson uh, seeping back into the bush <laughs> so yeah they are good so it's all, it's, it's, it's all gravy man all gravy and we've also got with us Victoria Gregory. Hello, Vic. How are you? Hi, uh, very good. Thank you. Had a lovely weekend. Tell us a little bit about your weekend. It was Thanksgiving weekend here in the States, which is where we get Thursday and Friday off work, uh, public holidays. Big deal here. I would say it's bigger than Christmas for most in terms of everybody getting together and celebrating. There's no gift giving. Um, so it is really just about getting together with friends and family, having meal and having an extra day off work and chilling out. So nice long weekend. I've also taken today off work. Um, so extra long weekend for me. Uh, it's been good, eating a lot of turkey, which is always a good thing. Fantastic. And we also have David Gregory. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very, very well. We had a super weekend in London. We did Thanksgiving as well. Thank you for four wonderful goals. Okay. Guys, uh, before we get started, it's really freezing over here in, in, in Korea. It's really gone Arctic. Can anybody tell me where I can get one of those um, Pep Guardiola grey cardigan stroke jackets? I don't know, but wherever you find it, I'd imagine it's at least like two grand. Yeah, but but don't talk to me about Arctic conditions, Mike, because we've had uh, six inches of snow here overnight in Chicago, and it's currently minus 10 Celsius. Right, it started snowing over here in, uh, in <laughs> Korea as well. But I don't know, Walter, have you ever seen anything like that before? Is it a jacket? Is it a cardigan? Who knows? I've got something similar, but I got it from um, Salt Rock. But it's uh, I got this a couple of years ago. Similar kind of style, but guaranteed. Mine didn't cost me two grand. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't look as good as Pep in his. But it was the closest I could get. David, I've got something uh, to announce to you, because I know this amuses you. you. You know that we've got our friend at Board Ederson. We've also got two new ones now. We've got even more Board Murich. 
and we've got Bored Delph, and they're a family, and they talk to each other on Twitter. And uh, let, let me tell you their recent conversation. I, I just find this re- very amusing. It's like even more Bored Murich tweets to Bored Ederson, fancy going wine testing. <laughs> and uh, he says, might need to cut out the halftime pies. I'm getting wider than the gap between us and United. And he says, I'm thinking of having a day out to Alton Towers. So he invites Bored Ederson and Bored Delph. Apparently they've all agreed. Welcome aboard, Bored Delph. Me and Bored Ederson are going to the garden centre at one o'clock. This is just hilarious. It's, it's growing. We've got a Bored Delph now as well. But uh, anyway, moving away from that, just to get us kicked off, what about these plans for a southern training camp, David? I thought we already had one. It was Wembley. Yeah, I, I think there's nothing in that at all. Uh, the newspapers have so much space to fill. You know, let's come up with something that's really outlandish and something that everybody can have a go at. We don't, we don't need it. And City have said nothing about it. It's just another line to just feed people. So you're not having that at all, David. You're not having no. That. No. What about no. you? What about you, Victoria? Are you having that? No, similar. I think it's another one of those stories to uh, get people riled up about the amount of money the club has and what they can spend it on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really see that it's that necessary. And for the facilities that we've got in Manchester, like, why would you need to replicate that kind of what through two, three hour drive down the road? Mm-hmm. Um, the condi- you know, the, the different pitches that they've got with the different styles of grass. Um, there's really no need for everything that they've put into the, the facilities there to try and replicate that just down there in that there London. No, I think it'd be a great idea. I think, it'd, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think it'd be a great idea on every single level. You've got a, a training ground there in London, which means you've got to attract the best of the London talent because you've got to come within a certain mile radius. So you could have your pick of London's talent, you know, the youngsters coming up through. It would be somewhere to for the guys to stay over uh, if they wanted to go out maybe for an evening in London. And most importantly, it would boil some piss. So <laughs> I'd absolutely love it. But, you know, uh, whether it comes off or not, I have no idea. Yeah, of course, as soon as that came out, there were the cracks uh, from uh, the Twitter wags. People were saying, well, we've already got one down there. It's the London Stadium. It's West Ham. You know, they keep losing to us. They've lost them. Um, all four of their meetings with us at the London Stadium, and the aggregate score is 17 to 1. Uh, after the game, we had some quotations from Pep Guardiola, and this, these are quoted in the BBC, and he says, uh, The result, especially after the international break, is good. And you can see that Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, and Manchester United, I don't know why he brackets those three together, but they struggled. We're a humble team, and today we weren't at our best. Too many touches, our passing was not good enough. But our running was fantastic. So he's pretty critical there, Walter. Yeah, I mean, but that's Pep Guardiola's job. Uh, Pep Guardiola uh, is there to bring the players back down to earth. As every single Manchester City fan knows at the moment, the one thing we absolutely dread about this season is that one word, complacency. And he's there to make sure that that doesn't sort of drop into the group and become a major focus of the uh, of the changing room. Now, I personally think, watching the game, we went 3-0 up and then took our foot off the gas. When it was 3-0 after half an hour or so, I thought this could be end up being like a cricket score. But things being the way they are and humans being the way they are, you know, there's not that such desperate desire to go and get that next goal. 
because we were 3-0 up. So I think Pep Guardiola is absolutely right in what he says, but only just to keep our feet on the ground. Yeah, Victoria, he also said after the game that he thought that the, that, that we were quite lucky. He's just being a bit silly there for the sake of the press. I think he's, as um, Dad just said, he's being kind, I think, more so to uh, Pellegrini and West Ham. Um, I think the big difference was that the chances that we had, we capitalised on and we scored goals. West Ham did have some chances, but they just didn't finish them. And that's not that dissimilar from how we were playing not that long ago. I think it was just every single chance that we had, we, well, not every single one, because there was Davids that went into the side of the net. There was another one that went wide, but, you know, we were the ones that capitalized on those chances and they didn't. David, we were uh, very clinical, it seems, because the aftermatch statistics reveal that we scored four from nine shots on target. That's, that's not bad, is it? That's a superb return. And they, they just did not know what was going on. I mean, there were, from where we were standing, the away end, the first three goals were scored what, with that stadium quite a long way away. So it was a few minutes before we could get to figure out who had scored the first one because the moving was so intricate. And from a distance, you, you just couldn't see. But the, when you look at that, we had one corner in that game. We scored four goals and we had one corner. And the, the, the interplay, it was almost like, you know, they, they just did not, they just stood still and let us walk all around them. And even when they were trying to get back into defense, they weren't hustling to get back into defense. When you see, um, the third one, you think, well, you know, he had so much space on the six yard line with no, you know, the one, one fella on his backside and nobody else anywhere near. You know, the, you, 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 I would have thought that when they got back into the dressing room at half time, Pablo would have laced into them. And we made them look an awful lot better in the second half because we just didn't, didn't really. And why? You know, it's, it's all about cons- conservation of effort and conservation of energy. I would have been very disappointed if one of our players had hurt themselves. You know, tearing into tackles when there was absolutely no need. We could have scored a bag full, yeah, but I wouldn't, I would not have liked that. With Manuel and Pablo out there, I didn't really want to see them getting a real spanking. Walter, let's talk about that first goal because David Silva's really doing damage to that reputation that people wanted to lay on him. They always t- said that he was a great player, just couldn't score. He's scoring in virtually every game now. He was predatory again for that goal. Sterling, Sterling's cross was, uh, took a lucky deflection, of course, but there he was in the right place, in the right time. David Silva is arguably the best player in the Premier League. And what I liked about it, it was, it was the most Aguero goal that Aguero's not scored. And it's, um, we talk about having nine shots, but these nine shots, if you look where the shots come from, they're all so, so close to goal. And that's not by luck or by you know coincidence. This is a, a Pep Guardiola team that wants his players and the intricate movement all the way up the pitch to get the chances that close to goal, to give them the maximum opportunity of scoring these goals. And David Silva, from what I can get, I can't remember him scoring a, a worldie out of the box. He's getting into those positions. You can see Aguero dropping deep and Silva's thinking, I'm bombing on. So, as I described it last podcast, it, I said it was going to be like liquid football. 
And that is exactly what we're seeing. You know, if you drop a load of liquid on a wall, you don't know exactly which way it's going to go. It just all makes its way to the bottom. And the bottom is the goal. And that's exactly how I see Manchester City playing. And David Silva is even, there's a rumour, growing some locks back. So, you know, <laughs> this is this is all great. Well, it's not just a rumour, Walter. If you actually look there on the... on the, I was looking at the highlights again just before we came on. It's very, very clear. Uh, someone actually said that he the reason he'd shaved his hair was that he, he, he got a, a hair transplant. Can't see that myself, but definitely his hair is growing back. You can see it's getting darker. He's got the five o'clock shadow all over his head now. And so, for some people I know, they've got aesthetic sensitivities. They'll be happy to see him with a full head of hair again. Uh, Victoria, how do you think... Uh, Pellegrini, what do you think about his approach to the game? A lot of people were saying, my goodness, this looks brave. He's um, he's really going for it. Uh, he's dying on his sword, but he's going for it. What did you think? Um, I think he's going to do good for West Ham. Um, so we watch the game. The pub that we watch at in Chicago is also home to the West Ham supporters group. And they're a fantastic group. Yeah, we all actually really like it when we play West Ham because it's just great to watch the games with them. Um, and I think generally City fans get on with West Ham fans very well. Um, so we had a good chat with them and, you know, there were parts of the game where I thought West Ham p- played pretty well. They had, you know, a few chances at goal. They didn't. The second half seemed somewhat lacklustre on both sides. I think, you know, it was by the time it was 3-0, um, both teams seem to take the foot off the gas a little bit, but there were glimpses of them. You know, they were trying to attack. They did defend well. I think Pellegrini is going to do a good job for them. I think it's just going to take a little bit of time for him to to get the team doing what he wants and get some of the players that he wants. And as we were discussing on Saturday with the West Ham group, we'll see if uh, Fat Sammy Nasri can do anything for them in January. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'll just kill me. That'll kill me. I, I will. I will have to transfer him back again. Uh, David, <laughs> there was that little uh, moment, you, you might remember this, uh, it was a byline tussle between Antonio and Laporte, and yeah. uh, I looked at it very closely, and I thought at first that uh, Antonio had got the better of Laporte, it hadn't. It wasn't quite like that, it was like uh, the ball broke away from them as they tussled for it, broke out to Arno- Arnautovic, and um, he took a shot, probably without full power. But uh, Walker and Ederson combined very well to snuff that one out. That got me thinking that uh, Pellegrini, he's, he's kind of going for this. And was that how you saw it, that he had taken a brave approach? Yeah, in obviously listening, because we were there, listening to um, the West Ham build-up, uh, you know, they, they had Steve Lomas on the pitch talking about where we're going to go, and that tickled me to death when I, within half an hour. Because they're saying, you know, the, the the main aim is to be probably only one nil down going into the last ten minutes, <laughs> and then we'd bring, then we we'd really go for it. I, I thought, yeah, how's that going for you, Steve? Um, but he was, he, he'd put a brave line up on. He'd gone, he'd gone for, you know, a 4-4-2 with, with, um, Arnautovic. And he's, I mean, Arnautovic is a big lump. Um, and he puts himself about. And if he, if he concentrated more on his football instead of looking to fight with people, uh, he might do a bit better. And the, with the ball, it, it, it was not a threat, the Arnautovic shot. It more or less trickled. If it, there was no power in it at all. That's what confused them both because they're both both going for the same ball, but there was no 
No, real. The, the bigger threat was a few minutes later when uh, Antonio had a shot that hit Edison's chest and Laporte cleared it. That's right. Ornanovic and Antonio, they, they combined in the midfield and Antonio got a shot off, hit uh, Edison yeah. somewhere in the chest or the shoulder, straight at him. Uh, it's one of those uh, shots that um, if it had been David De Gea, he would have been praised to the rafters for. It broke and Laporte cleared that out for a corner, but uh, it showed the growing sort of sense that uh, they were taking a very proactive approach to the game, David, right? Yeah, and, and the other encouraging factor from their perspective is the crowd, in, certainly in the second half, did give them rousing support. When, when you look back to last year, some of the antics of their fans when they were losing, when they were losing 3-0 to Burnley, you know, they were rounding on the board and, you know, not, not exactly a pitch invasion. It was one Muppet that decided to go for the walk. He's my hero. Uh, but, I love him. Uh, well, I got the corner it, flag. I went and stuck it in the centre circle. Yeah, he's great. But, oh, great <laughs> they did. They did carry on uh, giving them support. I mean, up, up until I think the, the the game was up in just in just after half an hour, and I think they 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 all knew that. Uh, but they were still loud and proud, which and I. They're a lovely bunch of people. I mean, it's an, it's a nice, it would say it's a nice ground. It was never designed for football. That's its biggest challenge. Um, but it was, uh, you know, you can walk around in safety. You know, you can, you've got no fear of some idiot going into come and have words because they don't like city or they don't like the owners. So it's certainly, you know, we, that's our annual away day, which we both thoroughly enjoyed. Walter, the positive signs, the positive grassroots that West Ham were getting going were quickly snuffed out because that second goal, what a great pass from David Silva to Leroy Sané. And he, uh, unfortunately, he, um, he kind of made, uh, made uh, Zabaleta look pretty slow and old there. He went right, right, right past him, teed up Raheem for a tap in classic, uh, Guardiola goal. Did you like that one? Yeah, of course I did. I mean, the thing is, I think, uh, Sane on this kind of form would make Usain Bolt look slow and old. Yeah. You know, he's, um, he's just a fantastic talent when he's, uh, I mean, what makes me laugh is if you look back, uh, do you know how people find things to criticize City about? And it was, uh, it was, is Sane not going to fulfill the potential or is Pep mistreating Sane or will Sane be as good this year? And you just look and you think, I remember saying at the time, he's, he always, for whatever reason, he always starts slow. And he's just showing what a great player he is. And I love those tappings because, you know, as much as the opposition's fan turned round and they'll say, you know, he's a tapping merchant. Oh, he scores goals for Sterling. And to have that intelligence to always be there in the right place and the right time. You know, people used to, I never heard people sort of have this uh, same mentality about Ian Rush or Gary Lineker. You know, when they were tapping him in, they were just seen as, uh, a fox in the box, and that's exactly what Sterling is. His, his sense of anticipation and his movement and his ability to find space is second to none in uh, the Premier League, I think, at the moment. I mean, as far as going back to Manuel Pellegrini and his uh, idea of uh, attacking and losing gallantly, as it were, well, I thought that's the way, in many respects, to get at City is to go at them. You know, and sometimes it pays off and sometimes it doesn't. But what doesn't work is against this particular city team is trying to park the bus, as it were, and then go for goals right at the end. Um, ultimately, West Ham at home, you've got the, the West Ham faithful watching 
And they don't want to see West Ham trying to park a bus. You know, that's why they booed Sam Allardyce, you know, despite him promoting them and getting them quite high in the league. Because that type of football is so yesterday, if you know what I mean. Victoria, um, there was sort of, sort of positive feelings that West Ham fans were truly snuffed out not much later on. This was my goal of the game. Don't know if you agree, but a beautiful lofted diagonal pass from uh, Fernandinho out to Sterling on the right. First time volley into the path of Leroy. He's still got quite a lot to do there because the number four, Balbuena, he did his, he did what he's supposed to do. He got in the way. And then there's this beautiful semi Cruyff turn from uh, Leroy before slotting in. And that was just beautiful under pressure, wasn't it? Oh yeah, the control that Leroy had on that ball when uh, it came to him to be able to kind of stop it dead, pull it back and then score the goal. It it was. I've watched that goal in the lead up to that multiple times now. Um but credit to Sterling for that assist. One touch straight to the feet of Leroy. It was yeah, beautiful goal. Unfortunately, David, uh, the poor left back Masuaku he was having a nightmare, and uh, it was only really when he was taken off at halftime and replaced with Cresswell that things got a little bit easier for them. Was that was that how you saw it? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, he really made two changes at halftime, um, and he he needed to do something to pep that team up. Um, and again, from a what you want to do from anybody from from our all we want to see is players giving everything they can. Sometimes you're not going to be successful sometimes you're going to lose but when you've got players who don't appear to be trying that's when the fans get on the back and the at least you know most of them they were outplayed and outclassed and i mean the, the david silver goal you could see david moving into that position and nobody recognizing what he was doing <laughs> and had anybody tried to follow him in they might have had a chance to disrupt it but it's, it's, I mean, I like Walter's you know, explanation of the fluidity of it. Um, and, you know, you don't know which one, where it's going to come from, who's going to, who's going to make the pass, who's going to be at the end of the pass. And they were just completely shell shocked. And t- to be fair to them, they did make more of a fist of it. And Cresswell helped when he came on. Um, there was a, a lovely moment when in the second half, when we were singing to Pablo and he gave every, the, the, our end a wave, um, but uh, you don't like to see people who you you were idolised at one point being embarrassed. But Leroy is going to do that to a lot. He is a, a rare talent. And when you think back to when we signed him, there was nobody else sniffing around this lad. Walter, we had um, some good moments uh, at the uh, in the early stages of that second half. We had another one of those passages of play that you identified before, where there's pinball in the area. Delph uh, chipped into the box. It was chested down by Sane. Silva took a crack. It broke to Sterling right in front of the keeper. He takes a shot. The goalkeeper blocks well. It breaks to Sane, and Sane can't get any power or position on the shot, and the keeper makes another save. But um, that, that really seemed to be it for a while because then there were two wonderful chances for West Ham. Antonio hit the outside of the post. Balbuena uh, from a corner heads down uh, and low and just misses the outside of the post. It was looking a bit dicey for us there for for a stage in the, in the second half. 
It was a lucky dicey for us. Come on, man. <laughs> those, <laughs> those were two good chances. I thought they were great chances. <laughs> I tell you, if they'd have scored them two, I'm telling you now, the game would have been exactly like Stoke when they when they uh, got their little stick and poked the hornet's nest, and then all of a sudden they just thought. Oh shit. And then we went on and scored seven. And that's what would have happened. You know, we would have upped the game completely. Um, I thought City played, took the foot off the gas. Um, and Pep just doesn't thinking, want them to do that. You know, he gets angry about that. Yeah. He's, what you've got to realize is what Pep says to us and the media can be completely different to what he says to, uh, the players behind closed doors. This is Pep who turned around and said, um, there's numerous, you know, he would defend them to the death. And, you know, he's got to look after that complacency side of things. This is Pep who said, I don't coach tactical fouling, you know, and then <laughs> ask Duncan Castles. So, you know, it's you've got to flip and flop as a manager, uh, but you've got to do it the right way. Um, Pep does that beautifully. You know, it's uh, he's, he's got the tightrope just down to a T. No, I didn't think it was uh, close in any way, shape or form. I just thought we were in second gear and West Ham were trying to up the gears a little bit and trying to... Fair play to Manuel Pellegrini, you know. He said they don't want to be embarrassed. And they went for City and they carried on going. But, you know, West, West Ham aren't going to be defined against Manchester City. Do you know what I mean? West Ham season is going to come against most other teams in the league, but it won't be against Manchester City because if teams define themselves against Manchester City as if it was last year, only two teams beat us. And, well, <laughs> you know, that was Manchester United's highlights. So, you know, West Ham aren't in that area just yet. Just when we thought it was fizzling out, David, goal number four, Mares and Foden. Phil Foden's on combining nicely to supply Gabriel Jesus, who crosses into Leroy, and Leroy controls that one, slots it in for number four. And what did you think of uh, Phil Foden's little cameo? Because he got a few more minutes than he normally normally gets. He came on in the 69th minute. Yeah, I mean, everybody's you know, praying for Phil Foden's first league goal. Um, and that's what you wanted to see, but... Having seen three goals from afar, it was nice to see one right under our noses, as it were. Um, and it just put the icing on the cake, really, that uh, a goal in front of the fans. And, and our fans, it, there's a special thing about the, the travelling fan. Half of them are bonkers, I think. Most of them have got to watch it with one hand on the other eye, otherwise they'll be looking at you know 44 players running around there, not 22. Uh, but the, the spirit and the camaraderie is always something to be enjoyed. It takes me back about 30 years going with the way, fam. David, who are these guys that call themselves the Waltons? Must be about 30 of them, 40 of them. And um, Yeah, it's... Who are it's, these guys? it's a nice, well, it's a nice group of really nice people. Um, and it came about, it's, it's basically through Twitter, um, mm -hmm. uh, which my wife is, is very into Twitter. Um, and That's she, an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she, she was chatting to these people and it came up with a, a long term good way ago now somebody said well I'm off to bed and it's always say, well night then and somebody else said <laughs> that's the reason <laughs> and that's that's where it came from but I mean you, you talk about dedication from these folks one lady travels in 
every game uh, and away games. I mean, they arrived at West Ham. She set off at five o'clock on Saturday morning. They arrived at West Ham with 20 minutes before kickoff and only had time to go to the, the seat. But she, she, she lives in Landudno and she comes to every home game, season ticket holder. She, she's train, bus and all sorts to get. What's and her, what's when her you, name this one? Barbara. Oh, Barbara Ellen? Barbara Ellen. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Um, Andy Crago lives Western Supermare. They come up in a minibus and take it in turns to drive. Uh, Nigel's in Wiltshire, uh, Kieran's Ireland. They're, they're all, they're from all over the place. But, you know, the dedication amongst the city fans and that group, and we do, we now go in, make part of our pre-match routine to just go in and say hello be- before the game and have a pint with them. It's, and they're, they're smashing bunch. How long does it say to say goodbye after the game? <laughs> <laughs> no, we we all go our separate ways as soon as the game's done. We don't get back together again. Okay, I guess we should uh, have a little vote on who was the man of the match against West Ham. We'll start off with you, David. Uh, Leroy for me. Yep. Okay, Victoria. Yep. Same, Leroy. So he had a tremendous game. Walter. Oh, Declan Rice. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he played really. I thought he was West Ham's best player. Uh, and I thought he put in a good performance. And so he's only 19. And you know, we're talking about getting those players in. Pep loves his young players. So I want to see us sign him. Um, I thought it was between, you could argue Leroy or you could argue Silver or you could argue Sterling. I thought there was many great performances on the pitch. But you know, you got the guy who's got the, the two goals. So I'll go with Sani as well. Um, guys, big news, uh, that we should, uh, say something about before we finish off uh, the unfortunate uh, death of uh, Johnny Hart. Now he lived to a great old age, ninety. Uh, David, he spent his entire career at Man City. I've got no memory of him. Obviously, none, none of us uh, have. Uh, none, of, none of the three of us younger ones do. Uh, but he was City Manager in 1973 for six months. After Malcolm Allison, do you remember much about Johnny Hart? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, not as a player because I'm not that old, <laughs> right? Um, of course. But yeah, I mean, he, he he did a multitude of roles at City. Um, stepped in as caretaker manager at the time that it was needed. Um, his son Paul Hart uh, was a, a good player in his day. Um, uh, and I, I, sorry, sorry to see him go, but. A, a wonderful club man, you know, one club man all his all his career, and and you know, City were good to him as well. Um, you know, it, it wasn't a you know, we've been treated some people shabbily over the years, but certainly not Johnny Hart. Uh, and I mean, my dad was could spot a good player, and and he'd said he was you know never let down in any respect as a player. So, God bless him. And hang on a minute, your granddad said something positive about a Man City player once. <laughs> yeah, just 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 the ones. Yeah, guys. Uh, that's uh, Johnny Hart inducted into the City Hall of Fame in 2006. He was a great uh, club man. Uh, Walter, uh, people have been coming out with various guesses about what might happen in January. Pep says categorically, no January transfer business. Uh, but that doesn't really preclude him from doing a pre-contact with Ajax or De Jong and lending it back, lending him back to them, or or something like that, does it? You don't believe a word that Pep says in a Pep conference. We all know <laughs> this, you know it. 
why would you go out and tell people? It, it makes me laugh is uh, the two words that used to get said by uh, chairman or managers. And it used to be war chest. I used to, you used to get all giddy, but so did everybody. So did every team that you were trying to buy players off. They used to think war chest. Um, let's get this right. City have been held to ransom a few times in the past. So why would you make it an obvious thing that it's going to happen again? If you sign somebody in January, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, let's get this right. City are looking at players now to sign for next summer. These aren't guys that just go out and do a Harry Redknapp and think terrific player on the 31st of August and trying to just get it over the line anymore. You know, we're doing due, due diligence on a lot of these players. And how many duff players have we bought in the last couple of years? You know, we're looking at players that we're bringing in. that We've, <laughs> we've made early contacts. We've sort of seen how they're getting on. And if you compare, I mean, the players that we've brought in and how they fitted into the system, how they bought into Pep's philosophy and what they're providing for on the pitch. And you think, yeah, yeah, there must be one duff one. Well, there may be, but then look over the road and look at the shower of shite they've been signing. And you can just see the complete night and day difference between uh, the transfer policy. So if Pep want, ultimately, if Pep goes to the board and says, I want someone we're saying yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Victoria, we've received a, a little question and a request for a shout-out on our Facebook page. This is from a guy called Mark Allen and his and his match-going mate, Rory. Um, and uh, they've been on with this question. Should we be looking for a long-term replacement for Sergio after the season is over? Um, I think, yeah, yeah. I think we're always going to be doing that with players that are so significant for us, you've got to have that succession plan in place. And as Walter said, we're no longer the club that it's, you know, looking at the last minute or what's available, the price tag that we can afford to uh, to get somebody in to fill those positions. So I'm fairly sure that Pep's already got his list of, of people that he wants to target for that position. Same with Fernandinho's role as well. Um, um, yeah, did- I think that's it's already all been discussed and sorted out and we can uh, sleep easily at transfer deadline night and not have to be watching the telly because we know that Cheeky and the lads have done all the business early doors and done it right. Yeah, David, a second question we got is quite an interesting one. Um, is Bravo now gone, never to return? No, not at all. Um, Bravo still has a part to play. Um, what a lot of people didn't take into consideration in that first season, there were a lot of personal issues in his life um, with with illness in his family that he had to contend with. Uh, he wasn't the goalkeeper that we hoped, and we've now got the goalkeeper that we hoped, but he still has a role to play. Young Muric is that, is that. He's young, he's raw. Uh, it worries me that you know we might have to put him in the firing line in a key competition at some point because of Bravo's injury. Uh, but I would like to see us treat Bravo with respect uh, and, and give him the opportunity to recover and come back. But the thing about it is, is saying the way we're conducting our business is exemplary. We're talking to the clubs and the players and we're doing it discreetly. We don't talk about what we're doing anymore. What we do need to do is identify some donkeys 
so that United can go and snatch them. Walter, let me just uh, finish uh, with this little question for you. I'm going to give a shout-out to our friend Ray at Man City Fan TV. He's been passionately defending City fans and naming and shaming hypocritical journalists for taking uh, digs at City fans for not taking up the cause of Matthew Hedges. And uh, the, the most recent one here is uh, Marina Hyde, the Guardian's Marina Hyde. Uh, she's stirred up a little bit of a hornet's nest. I don't, I don't know why people are such fans of Marina Hyde. I, I kind of agree with that comment that I read recently where it said that she's kind of like a sarcastic sixth form schoolgirl, all dripping sarcasm and invective, and, and that her and Barney Roney, every article is an exercise in trying to show how clever and witty they are. And, how often they can send the reader to the dictionary to look up words. But she made the little jibe that Man City fans are now crediting the club with securing the pardon of Matthew Hedges. And she says, this is my one million percent, my new jam. You know, very clever, very funny. But City fans were not claiming that they had secured his release. It's r ridiculous nonsense and... um uh, what did you make of all of that? It was absolutely ridiculous that City fans were even pulled into that entire discussion to begin with. Mm -hmm. I had uh, just the one bing bong at the pub on Saturday. I tried to start a discussion with it and started getting on his high horse and saying, you know, what, what's your football club going to do about this? The person that's been arrested for allegedly doing something naughty. I said, what on earth has it got to do with my football club? Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah, the other point is he was in Dubai, not Abu Dhabi. The Arab Emirates are seven different areas that have combined politically. But for the height of journalistic hypocrisy this weekend, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, when they're all there lauding it and how wonderful and everything else. It's only last week that it was the, it was the pits and no, well, no pun intended. Um, and, and the, the, you know all all those things that are wrong with it, and yet suddenly you know we, and it, it's a rich rich man's playground Formula One, mm -hmm. but it's uh, you know the the there the should be an award at the you know the for for journalistic hypocrisy. I've got a couple of contenders. Well, wasn't no. it Piers Morgan who kicked it all off, and he's allegedly an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Walter, I would be stupefied. I think I learned that word from uh, Marina Hyde. I would be stupefied if you, if if I if you didn't have an opinion on all of this. Well, I mean, the way I see things is you've got this idea of we're football fans, and most football fans. And when I say most football fans, every football fan I've met in real life, you go to a game, you have a few pints, and you enjoy the spectacle that's on show. It's only recently that in the last year or so that this idea of, well, we can't criticise them for football, what can we criticise them for? And then they start digging up, um, so for example, you've got a human rights record. And what I, my discussion is that is you've got, you've got a, an idea of this moral core inside you. And if you really don't want to be involved in any kind of persecution of people and you better stop using any kind of form of technology because you better stop the night shirts we used to wear you know you're looking at the people involved in the, the making of those shirts it's disgusting in those night factories the apple phones you know samsung any kind of form of technology you want to mention 
you know, should we be calling out the Glaziers now on um, Donald Trump's record and the United States records w- within um, South America, Central America, and uh, the Middle East? It's disgusting. And then you should start looking at um, Chelsea and start looking at Vladimir Putin, you know, and Abramovich. So once you, the thing about these types of arguments is, is in most things in life, if you set the ball rolling, you better be sure where that ball's going to go and, and where it's going to end up. Because if you really don't know, there's not a football team of the top four who has got their hands clean in any way, shape or form. And I just guess that certain journalists, Shibane Roney at the moment, are calling... City fans out, so got, uh, let's get this right, you know, most of the crowd that goes to the game tends to be from the northwest of England, and they are saying, well, you're enjoying it now, but hang on a minute, do you, do you know this? And, you know, you make your peace, or you make your, your lines with it. This whole idea of Barney Roney, if Ireland gets to the World Cup, do you really believe he's not going to go and cover it? My ass. So he's going to take the penny from there. You know what I mean? It's... Um, it's, you know, and then you look at Piers Morgan and his track record of hacking pe- dead people's phones. And, you know, you look at the Sun's record and when he worked for the Sun and the amount of shite that they printed, are, and they still continue to print. Even one of your favourites, Barry Glendening, uh, ca- casually referred to Manchester City's owners as toe rags when he was um, talking about uh, the uh, Der Spiegel uh, accusation. So... They just, uh, they've, they've all totally gone into a vortex where they're able to isolate a city and, and. Cast yeah, no, but that's, that's, but that's flavour of the month, that Mike. Um, Barry Glendening, I find him an engaging and quite funny bloke. And then when he comes out with stuff like this, I just think to myself, well, hang on a minute, you know, what does the publication that you work for, have you taken money from them? And what are their crimes in the past? Anybody who's worked for, for example, for the Daily Mail, they supported the Nazis in the 30s. So, you know, it's, it's where do you go with this whole spectrum? And, you know, Glenn Denning, for all his funny quips and all the rest of it, you know, he's going to make mistakes. And I think he's getting, he's making a mistake by trying to call Man City fans out who go to work. They're there in times of austerity, in times of jobs, struggling to pay for season tickets to go for a bit of escapism. So bring that real world, then to sort of try and have a go. I just think, hang on a minute, mate. If all the City fans decide, first they have a go at us for not going to games, and then they have a go at us for going to games, you just need to, with a common man, and you need to sort of say, well, hang on a minute. Yes, Man City fans, this is how it is, but this is how, you know, Manchester United is in the Caymans, Russian Abramovich, Roman Abramovich, how did he make his money? We could go on. We, we've actually done exactly what they asked us to do, and the guy is now free. So let's turn it around and say, come on, United fans, get Guantanamo Bay closed. Yeah, but all this noise has only ever started since um, this. Uh, the two threads came at the same time. City, uh, City fans are blah, 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 and City owners are blah, blah, blah. And exactly the same thread at the same time when City could dominate the year, the league for years to come. Mm. And you've got Barry Glenn Denning, who's a Sunderland fan, and a lot of the Irish journalists or whatever are Manchester United and Liverpool fans. And the reason they got into football and followed these teams because they were successful. And that's fine, and that's fair enough. You, you know, knock your socks out about that. 
But then don't start bitching when the, the, the cycle starts turning. It's not your turn. It will come back again. But, you know, live with it. Tough. Yeah. There, there weren't that many people complaining when United were winning three titles on the trot and, oh, yeah. and dominating football. You know, and suddenly when now, now it's, it's, you know, short memories. We've, we've committed two major offences. We stole the title from Sir Alex and we stopped Stevie Gerrard ending his wonderful career by, by leading the people's champions. And none of these journalists will ever, ever forgive us for that. For me, in every single one of their bylines, it should say in brackets, Man United supporter or Liverpool supporter because it, it's similar to, to, you know, any political comment, you've got to flavour that with your own, where you stand, because you're then subjecting everybody to your opinion. I think uh, Noel Gallagher was uh, someone who put it best when he was talking about, you know, the domination of uh, Liverpool in uh, the 70s and 80s and United in the 90s and the, and the noughties. And he just said to the questioner, it's our turn. It's over. It's over for you guys. You know, just forget it. It's done. But, but in those days, in the time, in when Liverpool's dominant period, Liverpool fans had a sense of humour. The goalkeeper going down to the cop end was always given a warm round of applause. I remember being at Anfield once and watching City get absolutely slaughtered. And the Liverpool fans were booing Liverpool because they stopped us scoring. You know. <laughs> Now we've switched that around with the change. Instead of having a sense of humour, they've all just got a sense of entitlement and, and a bitter resentment. You know, so where have all those fans gone? You know, what, what, have we, what have we been left with? Yeah, but I, I mean, I would say to that would be this idea. We live in a more divided society now. You know, with Brexit, you've got a sort of just a leave and, and remain and a tearing at each other. We've got the most right-wing conservative party and the most left-wing Labour party with no middle ground. And society has become very much like that in terms of the haves and the have-nots. And these haves are starting to slip into the have-nots. And boy, are they not happy about it. I was watching full-time Devils after the game at uh, Crystal oh, Palace. No. And you might call me obsessed. I just call it funny. I was laughing the arse off. So. <laughs> and the sense of entitlement was dripping from every chin. You know what I mean? They were eating entitled pies and it was, the grease was just dripping down. They weren't a happy bunch. But, you know, at the end of the day, people used to tune into Arsenal fan TV. Why? Mainly when they lost. Nobody tunes into Arsenal fan TV these days. Because they're on a roll and you don't see this sort of kickback and reaction. And, you know, they're like the little monkey in the, in the cage used to poke with a stick. Not me personally, but, you know, you get the general idea. And that's what people are interested in is this reaction. And United are just providing it now. And, of course, the journalists are then going onto this bandwagon and the fans. You know, you've got City fans taking shit on Twitter. And it's nothing to do with them and nothing that they could ever say or do or appease or would ever satisfy this sort of uh, blood bathing that's going on at the moment. So I just, um, I turn up at the game, I have my pints, I watch my football, then just put a tweet out on my Apple phone. There you go. I just check with them that you do you do drive, don't you? And most of them say, oh yes, that's a good, because every time you fill your car up, you're, tra- <laughs> you're contributing to our transfer kitty, and I'm very grateful to you. 
Yeah, I, I do. I just to just to refer back to what Walter said, guys. If you've got a spare after you've listened to the legitimate Man City podcasts, I I, I think you're Walter's probably referring to YouTube. But the uh, Full Time Devils podcast is 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 like Arsenal fan TV right now. It's very very entertaining. There's one guy on it, and he can't make he can't actually give any opinion without calling Man United the greatest club in the world. And uh, this is happening to the greatest club in the world. It's just so funny to listen to. I really recommend it. But guys, we've been on for a long time. I think it's yeah. probably about time to wrap it up. Um, so I think we'll just stop here and we'll say thank you and uh, bid farewell for, for, for a few days anyway to our guests. First of all, uh, Walter Smith. Walter, thank you. And we'll see you very, very soon. <laughs> I hope so. Have a, have a good one, Blues, and enjoy the Champions League game. Saying also thank you, and uh, we'll be talking again very soon to Victoria Gregory. Thank you very much. Speak to you soon. And to David Gregory as well. We'll be in touch pretty soon after the Lyon game. Yeah, look forward to it. Good night, baby blue. <laughs> a father and daughter on here, guys. Okay, so we'll finish off here, guys. Talk to you again after the game against Leon. So until then, have one on us. And as we always say, up the blues. Up the blues.